Good morning, my name is Liam, for those who don't know me. This is my wife Priska, and we're part of the wider leadership team here at 502. And you're all looking very fresh-faced this morning after that extra hour in bed. Priska and I were so delighted last night when we realised we actually get an hour back. So that made us happy, and it's a good start to our Sunday as well. Now, as Matthew just alluded to, this is the second week of our brand new series, which is called A House for My Name. And in short, it's going to take us through the Old Testament in its entirety. And the idea is that this will take us through to summer next year. I think I'm correct in saying that. And to be honest, we could have done this till about 2030 because there's so much richness in the Old Testament. You could take a lot of time studying this. Um, but we've decided to base this series off of this book, A House for My Name by Peter Lightheart. And you may have seen in the mailer for the last few weeks we're really urging you guys to grab a copy of this. It's really going to help you as we journey through. So much of what Peter says here will be reflected in what's said at the front here. So could I urge you, if you haven't already, Amazon, if you don't like the big guys like Amazon, go to your local bookstore and grab yourself one of these. It's really going to benefit you, and it will be so helpful. So treat yourself to an early Christmas present. So in doing this series, we're really hoping to just aid us all, because I think you'll agree, as Christians, sometimes when we read the Old Testament, it can be sticky, it can be a bit hard, and if you've ever done like a personal Bible plan, maybe you've done Bible in a year, you're well excited, you get up to about Leviticus and then you panic, or you get there and it says 1 Chronicles and you think, oh my word, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, this series is going to be about injecting us with fuel and love for the Old Testament, because Matthew alluded to it last week. You cannot really understand the New Testament without the lens of the Old Testament. It's key to understanding who Jesus was and God's dwelling place amongst us. So I'm just going to simply pray as we begin that over these next few months, we would fall deeper in love with God's Word, with Him, and we would come to love the Old Testament deeply. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to delve into your word. Thank you for the richness of your book. Thank you that it is complete and you've given it to us. And would you just reveal yourself to us this morning? Would we know more of your glory and more of your plan for us as mankind and just how precious we are to you? In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so our message for today is titled Junior Architects. Because we're going to be looking at this from Genesis 1. We're actually going to skim through all the way to Genesis 9. But don't worry, I'm not going to read everything to you. Because I do want you to actually have your eyes on me. So we're going to be going through and we're going to be exploring what it means for us this morning, for you and I, to be junior architects for God. And we're placing this underneath the fact that God is the master architect. We are the junior, he is the master architect. And my big two questions today that I'd love you to just think about as I'm speaking for the next few moments, one of them is this. If God has built the house, that is creation, what is our God-given role within that today? So ponder that one. And also, where is your Eden? We're going to be talking a lot today about the Garden of Eden, what that represents. Where is your Eden today? What is your Eden in your everyday life? So just let that sit with you as we go. Ultimately, I'm hoping that whatever you do with your days this morning, I know we've all got different jobs, vocations, passions, desires in this room. Whether you're a business person or a nurse or a teacher, whether you're a stay-at-home carer or you're a parent, whatever you do, my prayer this morning is that you'll see that you're invited into partnership with God, that we all are, and you've been given an important role in God's creation. And I think talking about work is really important for us because let's be real, we spend an awful lot of our lives working. At work, 
outside of work, even our leisure, we like to do things that give us joy. We spend a lot of our time working. I think it's um, John Mark Comer, who's a pastor in America, he puts it like this. We sleep for maybe eight hours, nine hours after last night. We then work for maybe eight hours, unless we're fortunate enough to have less than that. So that's 16 hours of our day. You've then got the commute, you've got your leisure time, you've got family time, you've got time with God. That leaves us maybe four hours, and he jokes that we all know what we do with those final four hours. We watch Netflix, and that's basically what we do. So time is precious, and work takes up a lot of our time. So our key passage for today is going to be Genesis 1, and I'm going to really hone in on Genesis 1, 26 to 28. There'll be more, and we'll touch on different verses, but this is really the linchpin for what we're talking about this morning. So it'll come up on the screen, and I'll read it to us now. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So my three points for today, my first one is going to be his design. My second point is going to be our role. And I'm going to finish off with the final scene. And what you might detect through this talk today is that I'm I'm picturing a lot of this as almost like we're watching a movie or it's a sequence. It's a script and things are going to unravel as we go. It's a bit of a drama this morning as we go through these biblical patterns in Genesis. So let's start. First, let's look at his design. Now, Matthew really helpfully kicked us off last week by looking at the idea of creation as a three-story house, which is such a helpful picture for us, in that you've got the land. I've got a picture here to help display that. You've got the land, you've got water and sky, and you've got the heavens. In the first three days, God divided creation So you have things like separating the light from the dark. The next three days, God fills the house. So you've got things like the sun, the moon, the stars. And on the seventh day, God enjoys the house. He rests. And a key thing for us this morning that I'd love to eke out of this text is that this house is God's. It is not ours. It is his. He built it. He is the master architect. And it is very simply built for his glory and the advancement of his name, hence the series of our entire series. Now, the story of creation, I'm not going to go through it all, because I'm sure most of us are very familiar with the creation story, but today our focus is going to be on the human beings. So we're kind of cutting in at day six, when Adam and Eve enter the fray. Adam is formed, Eve is then formed afterwards, and they're placed in a garden within Eden, which is the surrounding land. Now, I find this very helpful. This was given to me by Richard Stamp, one of the leaders here at Gateway. It looks like he may have drawn that himself, um, but I'm afraid this is the best he could do, so don't blame me. But I just think this is really helpful, because for me growing up, I used to think the Garden of Eden was everything. And actually, that was the entirety of the land at the time, because we hear it over and over again. But actually, the garden is only a portion of Eden. Eden was a much greater area of land. And I think actually this is really helpful for us in understanding our God-given role that we're going to unpack today, us being made in the image of God, we're to go out, that we realize that Garden of Eden is not its all. That's only a portion of the land. There's so much more land to roam. There was so much more given to Adam and Eve. So hopefully that helps. Now, central to this event is the phrase that we read about 
in 26 to 27, and it says, they are made in God's image. This is so important for us. Because to be made in the image of something is to be like something. It's a copy. If you make an image of something, you expect it to resemble and represent the original thing. Otherwise, it's not a copy. It's a rubbish illustration. And I think that's really significant for us as we think about our roles on earth here today that I'd really like to just poke on. And creation up until this point was good. We've heard it many times. After each day, it was good. God said it was good. But after man enters, after Adam and Eve are made, it was very good. There's a reason behind that, that we are the pinnacle of God's creation. And this is where we get our theme this morning of being junior architects for God. Because all of us here whether you may think it or not, actually whether you know God for yourself or not, you are made in the image of God. He created you, therefore you are an image bearer. Whether you have a relationship with him, whether you fully understand that is something different, but know that that is your base identity, that's your foundation today as you meet. Now it's tricky to nail down a definition of what the image of God means. It's very easy to say it here, you might think, okay, but if I'm made in the image of God, what does that mean? Does it mean I look like him? Does it mean I act like him? Well, there's been much debate on this, what it actually means. It's not very clear-cut, but you could say, are we spiritually like God? Are we relationally like God? You look at the Trinity, and you think the way they live in community, that's the way we're living in community right now. We are designed to be with others. It was not good that man was alone, and therefore Eve. But what it does tell us very clearly is that we can see that being made in the image of God is not that God has a nose and eyes and clothes like us. Very clearly says that's not the case. But it actually means that we carry the image of God within us through the Holy Spirit, that we have the capacity to know him and to worship him. Nothing else in creation has that capability but you and I. That's an amazing thing to think about. And we are delegated a God-like function. That wherever we are on this earth, whatever we do, you have a purpose because you are carrying that presence with you and we are pointing to him. So wherever you are, whatever environment you are in, where you live, where you work, where you shop, where you go to church, whatever it is, you are a light in that. Now Genesis 26-28 clearly tells us what we're instructed to do with our likeness. And I'm just going to unpack that for us. We read about our role as being a filling-in process. I think about a colouring picture in our kids' work right now. I don't know what they're doing, but they could be doing some colouring. And the child comes up to the picture. There is already an outline there. Someone has come before them and has designed them an outline, a basis for them to work from. And it's not finished until the child then comes along. Whether they stay in the lines is up to them. But they colour in the picture. They have a role It's a partnership between whoever's drawn that and whoever's colouring it, and it gives it life. It fills it in and adds to what was already there. So often, this is what creation is like. And ultimately, this is about our job description this morning. Now, I do love this because we all know the importance of a good CV these days. You can pay a lot of people to sort your CV out, to go through. I know Prisca personally absolutely loves it. If you go to Prisca and say, I want to get this job... She will spend hours, I don't know why she does it, I find it so dull, but she'll go through and she'll make your CV just seem a little bit better than it actually is. It's definitely a gift, I think. And we've all been on those job application forms, haven't we, where we go down and we look at the desired characteristics and you go through with a pencil and you say, right, that's me. Are you a team player? 100%. Are you humble? 100%. (laughs) 
are you good under pressure? 100%. But then you may find other things. You think, actually, no, this is not me. And very quickly, you rule yourself out of a job. It's a very stressful process. And you end up looking a bit like this, which I'm sure we've all done from time to time. And similarly, I'm sure some of you have watched The Apprentice on TV, one of my favorite programs. Been watching it for years now with Lord Sugar, where he picks literally the most entertaining but also the most arrogant individuals you could possibly wish to meet, bundle them into a boardroom and make them compete against each other for the prize of being associated with Lord Sugar. Everybody wants to come his, become his apprentice because in the business world, he is like a god. If you want to get to the top and you have a chance to know this man, you need to take it. So they will fight to get an audience with Lord Sugar. They desperately want to be in his likeness. They want to be associated with him. They want his money. They want to share in his business. That is their equivalent. Well, the beauty of our job role as God's representative is that A, it's a free gift for us all. So it doesn't cost us. And it's open to all of us. And that we actually all qualify simply because we're made in the image of God. So there's no hiring and firing today. None of you are going to get asked to leave. None of you are going to be told that you're not good enough or that actually you need to be more in the image of God until you can join. Actually, by default, God has blessed you with reflecting his image. We are all to represent him in the world. It's an amazing thing. There's no need to hire or fire. So let's just take a quick moment to look at the aspects of our role because it's all well and good knowing, okay, I understand I'm made in the image of God, but what are we actually supposed to do with that practically? So Genesis 1.28 really clearly lays that out for us. So I'm just going to read it again. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So let's tackle our role. Firstly, it says to be fruitful and to multiply, something we've heard often. We hear it a lot when we go through Genesis. Now, this is saying that we are to extend Eden. Like I showed that picture before, Eden is not within itself something we we just live with. We are told to break the boundaries of Eden and to go, to take God's presence with us. We can do this in two ways. Well, we ultimately do this by making disciples, which we can do in two ways. This can be lived out by both spreading the gospel to people because people need to hear the message of Jesus, or by having children and raising them to love Jesus, they have children who are brought up to be faithful and vice versa. So you can fill the world in both of those ways, equally valid ways. God's creation plan is that the whole world will be filled and populated by those who know him and serve him as his representatives. Such a privilege. And we're also called to fill and subdue. So while we are to be God's representatives and to fill the earth, we are also to worship him. It's not just down to the pastors or the prophets or the priests or the clever people or the people who go at the front. It's down to all of us to be involved in this because we all represent God. And I think that can be hard for us in our culture to actually get a grip on because if you think about it, members of parliament, they represent us. They say on our behalf, the queen represents the commonwealth. And we're constantly looking to figureheads and saying, yeah, they've got us, they represent us, they know what's in our best interest. But actually here is all of us. There isn't one person that we raise up to represent us. We are all equally stakeholders in that. And I know that ruling of subduing, it can make us feel a bit uncomfortable. Perhaps some of you are thinking, oh no, this is not my favourite biblical phrase at all. 
to subdue and to rule, in our current context, that can mean often to suppress or to crush or to limit people's opportunity. But that is not what it means at all. Here to subdue means to rule and have dominion over creation, which is what we were given over all other creation. But in these two ways, Adam's given a twofold plan of how he's supposed to do this in Genesis. Firstly, we're to be priests. And I'll, I'll tell you what this means because Adam is told to care for the garden which is actually the same word that's later used for how the priests care for God's house in the Old Testament. So God tells Adam to care for creation, for God's dwelling place, and it's exactly the same word that's later used for those priests in the Old Testament, which, of course, we're going to cover in the months to come. So in that, we can see that Eden was actually the first temple. It was the first dwelling place of God with his people. And we are to look after that garden like the priests did, we are to worship God in our context. So I'll bring it back again. Wherever you are, whatever you do, whether you feel you have great worth in your job or your friendships or your family dynamics or your church roles, actually, we are to bring glory to God and worship him in those. It doesn't matter what we do. There is dignity and glory for God in all of those things. So be encouraged in that. And at the same time, we're also to be kings. So ruling and subduing are the actions of a king is a powerful role that is given to those who are trustworthy. And it means that we have dominion over God's creation for good purposes. Now, this is the thing. We've seen tyrants throughout history bend the will of the people to them and try and manipulate the world to serve them, and it always ends badly. But what we're told to do is rule with love and care and to look after others, look after animals, look after creation, look after people, look after the resources we've been given. And quite fittingly, this week, of course, is the Conference of Parties being held in Glasgow, where they're going to be talking this week about climate change, how we're going to drag back our emissions output. World leaders are coming together this week to talk about these issues. How do we preserve our planet? How do we love our planet? And actually, that's a very poignant message for us, that we all have a role to play in that. Now, J.I. Packer, um, who's a well-renowned theologian, died last year. He says this really clearly about our role as image bearers, and I love this. It really sums up everything so far. He says, We should be reflecting at our creaturely level what Genesis 1 shows God is and does. Therefore, we should always act with resourceful rationality and wise love, making and executing praiseworthy plans just as God did in creation. We should be showing love and goodwill towards all other people, as God did when he blessed Adam and Eve. And in fellowship with God, we should directly honour and obey him by the way we manage and care for that bit of the created order that he gives us to look after. So again, what's your patch of created order that God has given you, entrusted to you, your family? Have a think about that. Now, we've all been given patches. So many people today work in order to live, don't they? A lot of us Growing up, we're told at school, the better job you get, the easier life will be because it'll unlock doors for you. Your kids can get the better schools, you get the better holidays, you'll stress less. You really need to aim high for these things. But actually, Genesis tells us that we are made to work. It's actually the other way around. And if you don't know what that means, think about it. If you've ever been unemployed and you don't get work, something doesn't feel right. Not many people would choose to be unemployed for 20 years 
we actually feel like we need to be doing something. We want an opportunity. We want to be productive. We want to be fruitful. And that's often how we all feel. Redundancy is horrible because it stops us from being able to do our God-given work. So this is all God's design. It's intentional. But as we all know in this story, if you've read the Old Testament, I'm afraid we wanted too much. We wanted too much of a stake in this story. And this is where it feels like a bit of a, a movie. It's all going nicely. But of course, we all know how it ends up. As soon as Adam and Eve disobey God, the ramifications of that are horrific. We still feel them today. And it completely puts things out of kilter. We're still image bearers, you and I. But as junior architects, we tried to take the master's role, and it never, ever goes well. So our relationship with God at this point in Genesis has been marred, and therefore, how we now represent him is not actually how we were designed to. There is now a gap between us and God. And as we follow Genesis through, we see the outworking of this, that people begin to do what is right in their own eyes, that sin corrupts the earth, that people are no longer thinking, this is your creation, Lord, where's my part? They're all building their own houses, they're making their own temples, and they are doing their own thing. Now, we're gonna, this is where we fast forward a little bit. Chapters 6 to 9 in Genesis, they just show us what happens when we dethrone God and we try to be the master architect for ourselves and try and build our own house. Genesis 6 verse 5 says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had been on the earth, and that every inclination, not some, but every inclination, of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. I mean, that's pretty damning. It's not occasionally you and I have impure thoughts and our desires are not very nice. All the time, every bit of us, completely in sin. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist. We need desperately a saviour. We need someone to turn this situation around and restore our broken relationship with God. Because we need to be back in the presence of God, like it was in Eden, where there is no barrier for us all. And beautifully, there's a subtle hint to this plan in Genesis 3, which is alluded to. We can often miss it, because it's not actually that explicit, but it is so powerful and so obviously there. Genesis 3, verse 15, this is what God says. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman... And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, speaking to the serpent, and you will strike his heel. So this is the first time in Genesis that we see God has a plan. Hallelujah. This is the comeback. This is how God is going to restore his relationship with mankind. But so often we read this and then just flick through and keep on going. But this is the first time, very early on, that God says this is not how it's going to be. This is not just going to peter out. The, the film's not going to end this way. There's going to be a comeback. And his name is Jesus Christ, the true or the last Adam. So let's just move forward again to see how this plays out. The world is corrupt. God is about to act by sending a flood, another well-known story that we've all heard many times. And you might think, it still might bother you, thinking, how does that help? If the world is corrupt, getting rid of everyone, surely, just puts you back to square one. You've got no image bearers then, so why would the Lord do that? Well, he doesn't do that. Instead, through Noah, who we're told in Genesis 6 verse 9, is a righteous man, blameless in his generation, he preserves him. He keeps a remnant or a seed of that faithful group of people that will continue his family tree on the other side of the flood. So God's got all of this covered 
It doesn't surprise him. He doesn't have to react. This is his plan, and no one is going to stop what he has. And in this way, Noah becomes the new Adam, and we're going to see what that actually looks like now. The first thing Noah does after the flood subsides is he builds an altar and he worships God. We're told in Genesis 8 verse 20 exactly that. And in doing that, he's actually continuing the role of priest and worship that we are told Adam was given. So Adam couldn't do that and forfeited it. God has now cleansed mankind, saved Noah, the remnant seed. And the first thing they do is take up that mantle and worship God by setting up an altar and saying, we're going to live for you. So see how cleverly God will not be denied. Instead, he says, right, Noah, you're my guy. Let's try this again. And just to prove that this is God's master plan who restores and not ours, it wasn't Noah's. I really like this quote by Matt Smethurst, who works for the Gospel Coalition. He's actually quoting Mez McConnell here, um, but I saw this on his Twitter feed. He said, Noah, there's a man who had a hard ministry. He preached God's word for over 100 years, and only his family got on the boat with him. Do we ever think about that? Do we ever think that actually Noah spent his entire life saying, guys, there's a flood coming, you need to come with me, I'm building a boat. Absolutely no one responded to that apart from his own family. He might think, oh, that's a given, they've got to come with me anyway. But how humbling is that to think that God's plan was, I'm going to save Noah and his family. But for Noah at the time, he would have been thinking, I want to save as many people as possible. And it just shows that actually... It's not about numbers. Our ministry is not about us. The master plan is God's. We're his junior architects. We're not the main person. Well, in Genesis 9, verse 6, the image of God in you and us, you and I, rather, is reaffirmed. So see how God, again, is recreating here. 9, 6 says, Whoever sheds human blood, by human shall their blood be shed, for in the image of God, which God made mankind. So God, again, asks his people here to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill, the same words that was used with Adam in the garden. The master architect is building again. There is hope there. Noah is just taking on that role, and he's given exactly the same creation mandate. It's given again, God is building. And this leads us on to the final point, the final scene. Now, this quote really sums up um, God's master plan to restore creation. I love this quote. Um, it's by a guy called Rich Velodis, who's an American pastor, just written a new book called The Deeply Fallen Life. This sums up where we're at. Adam and Eve hid behind a tree, naked and conquered by shame. Jesus hung on a tree, naked and conquered shame. In Jesus, shame doesn't have the last word. What an amazing truth that is, that in God... Sending his son Jesus to die for our sins, shame does not have the last word. We are his image bearers, that's always been the case, but our relationship with God is now restored. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying us day by day, and now this is our story. We hid in shame, Adam and Eve did. We are culpable, but actually what Jesus has done is hung on that cross for us. And it's just a beautiful picture of a tree and shame a tree and redemption. I just love the way that God does this. It's just, it is like a, a movie that you're watching. And what is this final scene? Where does this actually end up? We've seen what went wrong. We've seen the recovery plan. Well, I'm going to fast forward now right to the end of the Bible, which is Revelation 22. And this is really key for us. It talks about Eden 
as we've alluded to, being restored. This is the game plan, the ultimate dwelling place. It says in verse 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. So there we go. There's the end game. It's been revealed to us. There will be a day when Eden is restored. You and I take our rightful position in creation, and God has then done a complete loop and restored the original design plan that he had. It wasn't an easy ride. You and I have not contributed to that. It is God's grace that we are used but we have active roles to play. This is going to be God's ultimate dwelling place. A lot of what we talk about these next few months is how does God dwell? Where does God dwell? This is the end game. This is where things are going to finish with us. What a promise for us. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, which should encourage us all. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's now ours. That's what's happening to us. We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Thank you, Lord. And also Ephesians 4.24 adds to this and says, Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We're now viewed as righteous before God and holy. All because of what Jesus has done. So to finish, you may be thinking, all right, Liam, so what does that information actually mean for me and BCP today? How am I supposed to apply that to now? Because it's great knowing what's going to come, but we don't know when that's going to be, do we? It could be tomorrow, but it could be a long way off. There must be something for us to do in the meantime. Well, the instructions that are given to Adam and to Noah are also given to you and I this morning. We've been given a role, a mandate. We all have something to be doing simply to be fruitful, multiply, to fill. We are all God's junior architects. So let me ask these questions that I asked at the beginning again. What is your Eden this morning? What areas are you living out your role as an image bearer today? Just think about where you spend most of your time, the people you're interacting with. Where is your Eden? What area of land has God given to you? And how are you cultivating it? How are you filling it this morning? If you're at home, how are you leading and caring for your family? If you're in an office, how are you doing at glorifying God through your work? Are you engaging your colleagues? If you're a student, are you studying as if you're studying for God? Or are you worried about the fees? If you're retired, are you praying for and supporting your family? Are you serving? Are you helping in the week at Gateway? There's so many ways to get involved. Ultimately, you're made in the image of God, and therefore you're a representative You get to partner with God in the creation of his design, and it's an amazing privilege for us all if we actually wake up and realize what that means. Because the world, will all agree, desperately needs to see the glory of Jesus. We all know people who we'd love to experience what they're designed for. It's simply what you are designed for. And the sad thing is, if you don't realize that you are designed to be an image bearer, well, then you're just going to reflect something else. You're going to just go after other things, whether that's search of happiness, contentment, achievement, wealth, whatever, you're going to be pursuing something because you're thinking, what am I here for? What's my purpose? Well, the Bible tells us your purpose is to reflect God. You're an image bearer and you're a junior architect. 
So if you feel far from God this morning, be encouraged. You aren't. Scripture says that he is close to you this morning. If you feel low of worth, you're not. You have been given a role to do. You are so valuable in God's plan that he sent Jesus to die for you. If you feel irrelevant, you aren't because you've been given work to do. You've not been left on the sidelines. And if you don't enjoy your work, and this is a big one that I think a lot of us struggle with, know that there's God-given dignity in everything you do, whether you think actually you've got a high-flying job, which is easy to be grateful for, or actually you've got a job where you think, I don't really enjoy this, there is still dignity in it. God will still use it. You can still glorify God through it. And ultimately, he is the master architect. I've said it a million times, but I'll say it again. He changes lives, and we get to play such an important role as co-laborers with him on this task. So how are you extending Eden? Where's your garden? And let's be those who fill the world with more of God's presence. And we'll do that if we understand just how precious we are to Jesus, what he's done for us, and just the value that all of us here at Gateway have in the eyes of God. Carry his presence wherever you go. Now let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for our inherent value. Thank you so much that we all image bearers here. Thank you that you've created us to reflect your likeness in our workplaces, in our home environments, on the streets. Thank you that you have given us a light. Thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit. And would you please equip us this morning to know our worth, to know our value. Please help us to speak against any lies that would say you are worthless or you're irrelevant or actually God doesn't care about you. Would we as a, a people this morning just be encouraged to know that we're part of your plan that is assured, that we've already seen revealed through Scripture, that will culminate in a new Eden. And just help us to play our part. Please encourage us, inspire us. And Lord, we just bring you glory in every area of our lives this morning. Amen. 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 Let's stand up together, shall we? We're going to spend some time focusing on the Lord, the Master, Architect.